Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Jonah chapter 1 has been an adventure to walk through over the past several sessions before leaving chapter 1 and moving on to chapter 2. In this session, I'd like to take a look at some of the theological lessons that are explicitly laid out in Jonah chapter 1 and then also talk about its application for our lives today. One of the the things that is commonly um, an accusation laid against the Old Testament is that perhaps since we have the New Testament, the Old Testament has become somewhat obsolete or uh, irrelevant for our daily lives, that the New Testament is much more significant and important for the believer in Christ today. So what I'm hoping to do in these chapter wrap-up sessions is to demonstrate how uh, we need the Old Testament today. It's important for our lives. It's significant for us. It has application directly to the way that we live. Uh, So Uh, First of all, I'd like to talk about some of the theological lessons that can be learned from the book of Jonah. If all we had was the New Testament and we didn't have any Old Testament books or writings, I think we would miss out on quite a bit of information about uh, theology in general and about God specifically. Uh, We learn quite a bit about the attributes of God here in Jonah chapter 1. Now, all of these things are on display at other places in the Old Testament as well. Uh, But uh, very explicitly here, drawn to our attention and brought to our mind. So the first uh, area that we're going to discuss are the attributes of God that are brought out in this chapter. First, we've talked about over and over again the sovereignty of God, that God is absolutely in control of all things. We see that very clearly in this chapter in a lot of ways. God is in control of nature. He hurls the storm after Jonah when Jonah uh, runs from him. He causes the storm to become increasingly stronger and more ferocious as the men attempt to uh, get out of their condition. He also, after Jonah is thrown into the sea, uh, sovereignly commands, appoints a fish to go and rescue Jonah by swallowing him. Uh, Maybe not necessarily the kind of rescue that Jonah would have initially wanted, but a rescue nonetheless. Ultimately, in this chapter, God is sovereignly directing the prophet away from his rebellion and back in the direction that he wants him to go. So we see God's sovereignty in all of these things on display throughout this chapter. At the same time, we see the mercy and love of God in his dealings with not only the prophet, but with the sailors in this chapter as well. Jonah runs away from God, rebels against him, and disobeys his command. God had every right and would have been extremely just to say, I've had it with you. He could have struck him with a lightning bolt at that instant. He could have allowed him to die in the storm that he cast on the sea. 
Uh, God is absolutely sovereign and just and would have had every reason to do that. But he demonstrates his mercy and compassion in that Jonah, even in his rebellion, God does not instantly uh, disintegrate him in his wrath. He allows Jonah to run and uh, kindly pursues him so that eventually Jonah will change his mind and will go in chapter 3 to the city of uh, Nineveh. The sailors as well see the mercy and love of God here uh, in that he does not wipe them out uh, in this storm that is sent after Jonah. So he shows his compassion to them. If it weren't for Jonah's rebellion, they perhaps would have never understood these things. Uh, about God, his power, his might. And so we see uh, mercy and love on display in this way. Interestingly, Jonah here in chapter one is doing the very thing that Nineveh is doing on a large scale, disobeying God, running from God, doing their own thing. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach judgment against them because of this. Jonah acted in the same way that the Ninevites were acting by disobeying God and incurs God's wrath and judgment. However, God demonstrates his mercy and love by not enacting that judgment instantaneously. We also see the omnipotence, the power of God on display in this chapter. God is over nature, over his creation. He is powerful over the storm. He is powerful over the sea. Each of these things would have had uh, different Canaanite deities, perhaps Phoenician deities, other Mesopotamian deities that were over these different parts and aspects of creation. God demonstrates his all-powerful attribute here in possessing uh, authority over each of these areas. He hurls the storm. He commands the wind and the waves. And ultimately, even a giant fish is at his command, showing his great power. The all-encompassing presence of God is on display as well. Uh, you cannot run away from God's presence. Jonah found this out uh, potently as he attempted to flee from God to go to Tarshish. There is nowhere that you can run from the presence of the Lord. Now, these things can be uh, very uh, comforting in the life of a believer, that God is all-powerful to help us, that God is always present with us. But I think there can also be a warning uh, for believers too, and I'll touch on that in just a few moments. One other attribute of God that is significantly on display in this chapter is God's wrath. Maybe we could call this God's judgment or God's justice. The wrath of God is incurred by Jonah for his disobedience. God pursues Jonah with the intention of uh, punishing him and lovingly correcting him so that he gets back on the right course. 
Uh, the Bible speaks very clearly to us over and over again that the sinfulness of mankind incurs the wrath of God. We deserve judgment for the sin that we commit, the offense toward God that we give. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jonah incurs the wrath of God, but in God's mercy and God's love, he does not immediately enact that wrath. So God's attributes are complementary. It's not as if one of these attributes is more important than the other. I don't think we can say mercy and love are more important to God than his wrath and justice. Both are equally important. God is merciful, and at the same time, God is just and he is angered and offended by sin. Both of those things uh, occur simultaneously within God and uh, have to be reconciled with one another. A couple other theological areas that we see in this chapter. Uh, again, the wickedness of the human heart, the depravity of Jonah and of the sailors in this chapter. Obviously, Jonah has rebelled against the Lord, disobeying his command. It's clear to see. Uh, and we've talked about how even in his disobedience, the Lord was able to work in spite of that uh, to uh, reveal something of himself to the Phoenician sailors. The sailors themselves, in their reaction to the storm, give us something of an idea of the depravity of human beings. Rather than worshiping the one true God, they are operating with a polytheistic worldview. They worship any and every God. And we talked about the link there to Acts chapter 17, the idea that uh, God is God over all, whether people recognize him or not. We also see the missional heart of God in this chapter on display. God's desire is to reach the city of Nineveh. God's desire is to use Jonah, and the ultimate desire is for him to be obedient and willing to be used by God. I think we can also have to conclude from this chapter that God ultimately desired to reach these Phoenician sailors. They are not just an incidental part of this story, but uh, take a prominent position in the mind of God. So by Jonah's disobedience, God was able to use the prophet's rebellion to reach these sailors and reveal something of his character and his nature to them. Now, what are the applications for our lives? We've already touched a little bit on some of these, but I just want to bring out four applications to make explicit to us today. The first application is that God's desire is for his people to be faithfully obedient to him. When God gives us a command through his word today, his desire is for us to obey. His desire is for us to trust his word and in trusting his word to live that out in obedience. So Jonah provides us with a negative example in this chapter. He is showing us what we should not do. We should not disobey the Lord. We should not run from the Lord. There isn't anywhere we can run. Uh, away from the presence of God. 
The second application for our lives is that God's plan is not thwarted by our, uh, quite frankly, stupid decisions at, at times. Jonah made a very foolish decision in attempting to run from the Lord. And so God did not enact plan B or uh, some other way in light of that. This was God's plan all along. He is sovereign. He knew how Jonah would react. He knew what Jonah would do and was able to work through it in spite of that. God is not the initiator or cause of evil, but neither is he uh, left stumped by evil. He knows exactly what to do to work through these evil and wicked situations to, in spite of those things, accomplish his plan. So that can be very comforting to us when we see ourselves falling short at times and wondering if we've somehow ruined God's plan for things. God is not uh, thrown into chaos by our stupidity. He knows exactly what he's doing and is able to work through even the bad and sinful situations that we put ourselves into. The third application would be the Lord is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent, the, the omni aspects of God. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. He has all authority and all power and is capable of anything. And he is always present with his people. There's nowhere that we can run uh, away from his presence. These omni-attributes have a couple different aspects that are applicable for believers. On the one hand, uh, they can be of great comfort to us, that God is uh, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, all-knowing, always with us, and all-powerful to act on our behalf. They can also serve as a warning, however, because God is holy, and uh, if we offend him, he knows that. Uh, he's with us and uh, understands those things uh, all at the same time. The fourth a point of application would be that God desires all humanity to be saved, but not all humanity will be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He was patient with Jonah when Jonah rebelled. He was patient with the sailors as the sailors are worshiping all their other gods. And we will see he is patient toward Nineveh. He is patient with us today, uh, wanting us to come to repentance and to a knowledge of his son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit Emmaus.edu slash partner.